0: Hey, hello everybody. This is SD Falcetti, and this is the science of the story behind my short story, Signalos. If you've been following my work, you know that I do have a professional narrator for my audiobooks, Shaman Casey, who does an amazing job. But for these podcasts, for the science of the story section, I thought you might like to hear me read it in my own words. So let's jump right into it. It turns out that the end of the solar system is remarkably far away. Growing up, I thought Pluto was the end, but at 30-40 to AU, that's not even halfway there. In 2012, Voyager 1 reached the actual end of the solar system, the heliopause, at 121 AU. It's the actual end because it's the place where the pressure of the solar system is cancelled by the pressure of the interstellar medium. In other words, it's where you've left the last tendrils of our solar system's influence and gone fully interstellar. In signal loss, the Aristarchus is somewhere between Pluto and the heliopause at 86 AU. This distance is so far that, even at light speed, Kyan's conversations with his daughter have a full 24 hour turnaround. Just as an aside, I think it's amazing that there's a real life spaceship that is much farther than the Aristarchus. Voyager 1 is nearly an entire Sun-to-Pluto distance past Cyan's location. Sedna and Eris are minor planets at the outer edges of the solar system, similar in size to Pluto. Sedna has a huge orbit with an aphelion, maximum distance from the Sun, of 936 AU, taking 11,000 years to complete one orbit. It's interesting that I grew up thinking our solar system had 9 planets. Then, Pluto was downgraded, making eight, and now we found more Plutos. Noodle on the fact that some of Saturn's and Jupiter's moons, Titan and Ganymede, are larger than actual planets, Mercury. Then try to answer the question how many planets are in our solar system? Although signal loss was inevitable from Chion's position, solar flares accelerated it. Solar flares are classed as A, B, C, M, or X. The most powerful flare ever observed was the Carrington event in 1859 and is estimated to be an X45 class, causing telegraphs to spark and generating worldwide auroras bright enough to read newspapers. Things smashing into other things is another key element in signal loss. Kinetic energy is the energy of moving things. The equation for things not traveling near light speed is simple. One half of the object's mass times its velocity squared. Small things going very fast can be very damaging to large things. NASA gets credit for using this concept to smash asteroids. It's not fiction at all. In 2005, NASA's Deep Impact Impactor intentionally slammed into comet Tempel 1 although it was for the purpose of ejecting material from the nucleus to analyze the comet's interior. NASA's 370-kilogram impactor was similar in mass and shape to the 500-kilogram drones used in signal loss, although Kine's drone was traveling 0.1% of light speed when it collided with Watts's weapon. To imagine what a 0.1% light speed collision is like, imagine getting into your car, stepping on the gas, and accelerating to nearly half a million miles per hour. Ignore the fact that the G-forces will liquefy you just before the atmosphere at your car's nose compresses into a plasma ball and incinerates you like a meteor. Aside from that, you'll exceed escape velocity and blast straight off the surface of the Earth into space. If you're amazingly unlucky, and the Moon happens to be in your flight path, then you will enjoy a leisurely 30-minute trip before collision make sure your windows are rolled up. Your car stereo isn't going to pick up terrestrial radio, so hopefully your phone has some good music. I recommend Sinatra's Fly Me to the Moon. At the conclusion of your Earth-Moon transit, you impact the moon 30 times faster than a typical asteroid. Your kinetic energy converts into a 7-kiloton explosion. This will certainly eject some of the moon's surface back into space, and some of those meteorites may rain back to Earth as shooting stars. Way to go, Speedy. One of the other themes explored in Signal Loss is machine intelligence. Although Rio sounds intelligent right from the start of the story, consider the fact that non-intelligent computers have been fooling people for some time. MIT's Eliza program, created in 1964, fooled people into thinking they were talking to a psychotherapist. That's right. Nearly 20 years before you were sitting cross-legged in front of your TV playing Circus Atari, people were chatting with computers via text interface. You can try it yourself online. In 2014, the Eugene Gooseman program was the first to, debatably, pass the Turing test. The general Turing standard is, if you can't tell the difference between a computer and person, the computer is sentient. I think as expert systems become more competent and convincing, this definition will need to change. Clearly, the Eugene Guzman program is not sentient. If you read any chat logs from his conversations, he seems similar to the 1964 ELISA program. Signal loss also suggests that sentience enables decision-making which conflicts with programming. In 1942, Isaac Asimov introduced the three laws of robotics. They are 1. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. 2. A robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. 3. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Assuming Rios is programmed with similar laws, you can see the pickle he's in when he must choose between doing nothing, allowing Kyan and himself to die, or opening the fab mod pressure door, killing Watts. Law 1 is alone enough to spin him into an endless logic loop. But throw in an order from Kyan, Law 2, and his own demise, Law 3, and you've got a real conundrum. And yes, Rios opened the Fabmod pressure door, was an odd to the famous 2001, A Space Odyssey line. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. It seems humanity is destined to argue with AIs about opening airlock doors. So thanks for listening to my podcast. Be sure to check back for more. I will have the entire Science of the Story series free here on my website. Available via podcast, so you can always come here to get the latest. If you enjoy audio content, the first book in the Hayden's World series, 43 Seconds, is available as an audiobook narrated by the very talented Shaman Casey. Shaman is the perfect voice for James Hayden, so be sure to check it out. You can purchase 43 Seconds on Audible or anywhere where audiobooks are sold. So as James Hayden would say, keep dreaming big, everyone. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later.